Hello and welcome. You're listening to Requires Improvement, a podcast that aims to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system. With the support of listeners and guests, we want to find out what's going well and what really requires improvement. I'm Lee, I'm a secondary school teacher and a union rep, and I'd like to introduce my co-hosts, Anu. Hello. Nick. Hiya. Lauren. Hello. Charlie. Hello. And Tom. Hello. Great. So we got a full host of requires improvement people on board. Because let's face it, guys, uh, this is a really crucial time for educators. It's a really crucial time for parents. It's a crucial time for how the current situation, the COVID crisis in the UK is managed. We are at a tipping point where depending on the decisions made at the top and depending on our reaction to them, our organising, our ability to influence events is really going to have a major, you know, effect on the results we see. So we felt it was high time after we lost sense of time during all this lockdown. I think we all felt collectively that we had to come together today and discuss obviously the situation in UK education and more widely. So we have an agenda to go through. I'm going to try and host us through this conversation. First up uh, in our topics of discussion, and some of these will, you know, with some of these will be things that definitely, definitely urgently require improvement. They require action by individuals, organisations and governments. Our first item we're going to discuss is obviously the shock announcement by our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. He, uh, last Sunday, um, really kind of pulled the rug on everyone by announcing uh, a a pseudo-relaxation of the lockdown measures, a very confused message. Uh, But most signally, and the topic we're going to start our discussion is, is their announcement that they intend to open three years of the primary phase. They intend to reopen these schools by the 1st of June. And obviously this has landed like a bombshell, you know, amongst teachers, amongst parents, amongst school managers, to be fair. And really we're in the midst now of, you know, a real potential flashpoint in industrial relations, uh, because not only for the sake of teachers will we want to perhaps act, but, you know, I'm going to now throw this over to the requires improvement crew to have have a little think. What is our reaction to Boris Johnson's decision at this stage to even consider reopening primary schools. What do we think, guys? Um, Flabbergasted, outraged, um, shocked. What the hell is he thinking? Um, We are not in a position as a nation in terms of the number of new cases that we're seeing on a daily basis. We are not in a position to be pursuing this kind of relaxation. It is a public health nightmare. And I think the fact that the British Medical Association have come out in support of of that very notion does mean that we are. I, I you know I believe that, that the union has got the right position. I just think right now people are dying. Far too many people are dying, and to even consider relaxing things now would be frankly ludicrous. Um, but Lauren, they said that we've got till the first of June to get all of these things in place. They said that a week ago. Um, great, yeah. Because they're doing a great job, aren't they? They're doing the thing of they're presenting it as a as a reasonable kind of like target um, where we're going to go back when the conditions are met. But they're pretending that it's a done deal that the conditions will be met, even though we know they've hit every single target they've set themselves through this entire process. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, you know, for example, when they can actually, was it 100,000 tests that the day they'd promised? Yeah. And when they quoted that, I believe that 40,000 of them or so were still in the post and hadn't actually been conducted yet. So, again, the biggest thing that we need and one of the five demands that the union are making is tracing and testing. Like, we can't do anything as a nation reasonably without large-scale testing. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we have to think about the things that we need to focus on. And yes, of course, I want to go back to work. I want to see the kids again. I want that more than anything. I want to go back to normal so much. But at the end of the day, nothing is more important than the lives of myself, my colleagues, my my students, their families. Like, And it's not even just their families. It's an epidemiological nightmare if we let these kids go back now. And I, I see what they're saying, but I think that we need to focus. Let's get PPE. Let's get started there, shall we? Let's make sure that our NHS frontline staff and those people that are working at Tesco, Sainsbury's Co-op actually have an adequate level of protection, number one. Surely that should be our focus right now. Um, once we've maybe got that sorted and then we have mass testing and then we can actually guarantee that schools can be remodelled so that social distancing can actually happen, then, then maybe we would be in a position to talk about phasing back in, going back. But at the end of the day, there are too many people dying in this country. We're the second, we're the worst in Europe now. Um, I believe we're the second highest in the world, from what I, from what I remember. Um, so, in terms of numbers of infections, we are not in any position to be doing anything other than literally trying to deal with the frontline medical emergency cases of it. I think it's key as well, isn't it, to remember it's not. We're not talking about opening schools on June the 1st because the schools have been open through this entire thing. Yeah. Schools have been open. They've been open yeah. through Easter. They're going to be open probably during half term coming up as well. Um, and they have been open to vulnerable kids. Now, they haven't all come into school, but that has been an option there for those parents to take in most places. Um so we need to be careful about what we're talking about. I mean, the schools that have been open, like it's worth mentioning, like locally, there's been three schools that have had outbreaks. Uh, one is a special school um, called the Sheeling School, um, where two teachers, one of whom was a school rep, um, contracted the virus. They got tested for it, and it, they definitely got it. And they actually, it's and some kids in the school had it as well. Uh, and this is like a special school. It's like a kind of kind of like a care home in some ways as well. So they've got like really intimate contact with the kids. Um, you know, imposs impossible to social distance. Um, the PPE wouldn't doesn't really work in that kind of close knit situation either. Um, so they were high risk anyway. But what that school did wrong was they insisted on all the kids coming in the whole time since the start. Um, you know, fair enough. Those kids need the support, but given I don't know, making it more obvious to the parents they have an option of not sending their kids there. So anyway, now they've got an outbreak and they've had to close. Um, but because it's quite a small school, they can test everyone. It's only like 30 kids or something, lots and loads more staff. You know, it's a limited amount of people. They can close the school down, deep clean for a week, two weeks, test everyone and then reopen. Um, another school, Mangotsfield School, um, they had uh, an outbreak, but it wasn't an outbreak because it was on a very low, there was only about like, six or seven kids in school staff have been on a rotor system the staff member that contracted it they ha hadn't been in school for like a week when they found out 
So they managed to kind of go back and trace all the kids and adults that had, had contact with that person. And they managed to keep them off rota and keep them isolated and away from all the other kids. You know, you can do that on a big site with, um, uh, you know, limited amount of people where you, you know exactly who has been in a room with who the whole time. Fine, that can work. The second you are talking about numbers of scores of children, 20, 30, 40, the ability to do that completely evaporates, completely evaporates. So what you're going to end up with is, instead of it being one or two people infected, the school closes for a week. The whole school is going to have to close for two weeks and you won't know how many people have been affected. You won't know because there would have been so much contamination. No matter what you do, the whole the whole notion of like six degrees of separation will become very apparent, you know, really quickly. Because you know, you think it's like an exponential increase at this point because you've got that kid, that infection, that then goes back, as we know, home to their families. Those families then may, because let's face it, the reason that they want to send students back to um, or, or they're trying to make this happen on June the 1st is so that the poorest paid can go back to work. Now, those poorest paid, for example, in London, I was reading about, I think it was 30% of the lowest paid people in London actually have access to a car. So you're telling people not to use public transport, for example. So paint that picture, you know, kiddie goes home, dad works um, in a shop, say, dad has to get on public transport, Dad is now in contact with all these people. Dad then is in contact with people that he's in work with. You can suddenly see how just that one case, you know, in in terms of spreading, does become very quickly, um, just through one individual child, quite a massive risk factor. Um, and as I say, you know, we, we're not we're not in the position we, as a nation, in in the stage of the crisis that we are at, we are not in a position to handle it you know because essentially this is going to help create a second wave and regardless of the fact that you know children aren't that you know this idea that children aren't as susceptible well actually there's been two only two studies that i've actually read that have been done on this one of which i think was um oh, i forgot i forgot my the name of the paper for you but there was one study and this was in the british medical association's letters to the neu one saying that the the risk was quite low of transmission between from students but then more recently a paper's come out of a lab in berlin saying that actually children are just as infectious as adults so yes children may not die at the same rate as adults but they're still going to be able to spread it we think at the same rate so was I saying, do we know how long coronavirus can survive on a surface for? It depends on the surface. I think they believe like it can be a couple of days, like metal surfaces in particular are, are, are a bit worse, um, which is why, again, schools and, you know, soft furnishings and things like that. And it does depend on the conditions. There is no definitive answer for how long it can survive. Um, but the thought is, like, you know, if I touch a surface and someone comes and touches it three hours later, there will... There will be there will be there will be coronavirus on that surface. Um, now again, viral load does play a part in that. So you know there does need to be a certain number of virus entering your body um, for your body's you know for you to become susceptible to that. But that also depends on your own personal immune system. I've got colleagues that have got type one diabetes, and we've recently seen the figures. I think it was about forty percent of um, deaths have occurred like from the elderly population that have had type one or had diabetes. So there are lots of, of things that we need to think about um, with regard to just, just managing the spread and, 
And I think it just sends the wrong message. If we're saying, yeah, schools are open, um, even if it's just for three-year groups and we are going to exercise social distancing, which we know is impossible, um, that we're kind of setting that precedent then, aren't you? Because at the end of the day, right, if, you're, if your kid's at school, oh, fuck it, I might, might as well go and see my nan or my granddad. I might as well go, go and see, you know, a friend or whatever. So, do you know what I mean? There is that attitude as well. If, if my kid's at school, things are back to normal. So things get loose um, and a second wave of this will be really, really damaging. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very concerned about it. What do we think then they are actually playing at? Why is this a thing that they are persisting with and pushing with? And in spite of the pushback, are they continuing to go along with? Well, simply, isn't it? Because let's face it, the, what, who are they asking to go back to work? Who do they want to go back to work? Which professions? Your builders, your construction work, um, your construction workers, your people that work in shops, your delivery drivers. Essentially, the lowest paid people that are making, generating the billions for those people that won't have to go back to work, that can work from home because they can work from home with their laptop in their conservatory. Like, they're not being urged to go back to work. So the reason we then today, who are the wealth generators of this nation or of this world, even bankers, the people actually on the front line making the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If only. I think, um, I think there was a, another case um, made by I, I can't remember what Tory MP it was, but they said at one point they gave it away um, that part of the reason why they're doing this is because they want to learn about how the virus spreads. So rather than do experiments or whether children, um, you know, pass it on, like literally whether or not we have a second wave will be the way that they find out. And so sending back those few schools, I mean, you know, that, that sounds almost conspiratorial, but when you think that, about that all the things we found out... That sounds very Nazi Germany to me. <laughs> um, I, I read something recently by an academic called uh, Warren Montag, and he he was sort of talking about the pandemic in general and what it means for the future of neoliberalism. And um, he was talking about the sort of architect of neoliberalism, or one of, uh, Ludwig van Mises. And he was essentially talking about how, you know, the what's happening now um, presents sort of like really good conditions for capital in that um, capital can um, exercise power by abandoning certain sections of society because it has to. Um, and alongside sort of laissez-faire political practices, um, it basically, if you expose populations to the risk of death um, and you don't intervene, you sort of, you're sort of enabling the system to continue. So it's, I mean, I guess... I guess it's just sort of that is a neoliberalism 101 then what this conservative guy sort of suggested um it's nothing new really I think that one was in a a press conference where someone was saying um what if this does cause a second wave and I think they Mm, they they skirted around that by saying well actually it's a good thing if it does like it may well do but if it does it's great um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was. It's like it was the only one time that it was mentioned in that sort of context. But I think that even saying that and even having that in the back of your mind, or like, betrays like what's really going on underneath. Um, 
yeah, that that at the end of the day, it's in their interest rather than, you know, take any advice that would suggest that it isn't worth the risk and just go ahead with it. Speaking on, like, some of the things about social distancing anyway in schools, um, I know we've talked about it before, but I've now been and done my rotated um, shift uh, at the, the school I work at um, two days a week, or used to. Um, it, it was shocking to me at times. Sometimes it felt kind of okay, but, yeah, it definitely doesn't surprise me that, uh, like, the, you know, the Sheeling school, like, that it was able to spread because you know children I was working with children in year one year two they they don't really have much of a sense of what social distancing is at all or the ones I worked with um the school had children from different year groups playing together at, at play you know they weren't separated out I was expecting a lot more than I saw they were sitting together maybe about a meter apart facing each other but like kind of staggered zigzag sort of thing but it didn't really look like enough to me um at lunchtime when they ate um I heard cases of um people who worked with children that either for reasons about um, like related to their special educational needs or about actually their behaviour were coughing or sp- sort of doing like raspberries and like spitting at um, like in, in close proximity to the adults that they were working with <laughs> and clearly that's not caused a problem because like in the current like you know um sort of bubble that they're in is just about protecting them from having it themselves and therefore that's obviously not spread it or if it has (laughs) everyone's miraculously been um uh asymptomatic so far but if that child continues and for the sounds of it like union might have been contacted about it and things might be in the in the process of being done but in the interim of like something being done about that whatever was going to be done to me like the only thing that can happen is if that kid doesn't get talked to is but you know if, if they're aware of their behavior or is something like really like a one-on-one isolation of, of looking after that child um isn't put a place then the moment that that child catches it whether they're symptomatic or not they're going to spread it and they're going to keep spreading it and yeah I think I'll sort of touch on a few more of the things that I saw as we go along but already you know you're sort of seeing it's if that's what's going on on in lockdown add add a few more children to that situation and and you've got chaos and as it was pointed out by Nick like there's no way of really like getting a grasp on that and like um tracking the spread like that like every everyone in this in the, the school should be being tested already um to to make the situation even remotely safe and yet they're not um i i can't really believe it and the idea as well about you know there's been lots of talk about well we teachers you know aren't necessarily going to have ppe um but you know, as the Daily Mail really lovely implored us to be heroes. Um, well, it's all well and good you saying that, but the people that are currently working on the front line do have PPE. Like, and and if that's, you know, if that's the expectation, then that we're going to go and sacrifice ourselves and sacrifice our students and their families and, and wider society. You know, 
there's so much that we need to think about that even with you know a face mask on you know which has limited use anyway even with uh if you're going to put one of those like kind of boiler suit things over your clothes like that in itself is still not foolproof number one and number two actually what that's going to do to the kids you're not they're not going back to the same place you know they're not going back to as you say a school where they can be social and things are going to feel safe Hmm. i mean like you read the um like some of the heads of the big uh, academy chains um all all the bad ones all all the horrible chains that you'd hate to work for because they smash unions and they have all these weird tricks and stuff and oh it's horrible their workload's insane and things like that and um you hear like what they've smugly put in place for the first of june and they're like and we've got corridors that are like one way and we've already put here's some photos of some um cordons that we've put up so people can only go in one route and we've got loads of pp for the teachers and we've got all this stuff and everything's split up and it's like what's the point what is the point of dragging kids to somewhere that may or may not be safe that is like more highly securitized and militarized than an airport you know like stale dry slightly edgy situation and like what are the management going to be walking around going, oh what a great learning environment this is after you t- after you're going to have to say to every kid two meters please two meters please and they're not going to do it they're going to ignore you and then you have to kind of get louder and more aggressive and shout eventually you know it's like okay maybe you can get kids to distance maybe you can get them to follow these rules but the teachers are going to be on edge the kids are going to be on edge and they're going to not do what they're supposed to do. And it's going to be such an unpleasant environment. It's going to be yeah. horrible. And they're talking about, like, oh, these vulnerable kids in these uh, in these homes that don't have the internet and the parents are horrible and they, they're they forgetting stuff they used to know. They need to be in the schools. It's like, I've no doubt the lives of some kids is going to be horrible in lockdown. And we're only going to really start to appreciate that once we get back. But putting them into a school that is going to look like something out of a sci-fi film is not going to do them any good, I, I, I would say. Yeah, and the idea that these vulnerable children, A, aren't being looked after anyway, or, you know, I, I personally... I, well, I know lots of members of staff that have a list of vulnerable children they're checking in with on a daily basis. They're phoning home. There are teachers delivering... Teachers and support staff delivering um, food every day to kids delivering vouchers to these students so the idea that all of a sudden again that's quite disingenuous isn't it the idea that they've just been abandoned and left to the walls as though we're doing nothing to even communicate or try and help them i'm not saying we can but also that aspect of it as well shouldn't always be down to schools only like why why you know this conversation also should then be a conversation well that's interesting because if vulnerable children aren't at school then what systems as a society do we actually have in place and what will we cut you know what what these are now the effects of all of these budget cuts the fact that we still in 2020 have children this vulnerable and if you're telling me that other services you know it just highlights the exact austerity horrific policies that have just decimated the fortunes of our most vulnerable people in this country 
And I think that and I think we can talk about that a little bit later when we talk about kind of the media and public and MPs' responses is kind of playing up to this kind of the attainment gap, whatever that really means. It's just the wealth gap between rich and poor, I think. Um, but yeah, I think what I think the NEU did a very made a very good point and it would kind of emphasise that quite a lot that what the government has done and they've just kind of thrown it out but they've kind of just outsourced any responsibility to head teachers and I think as Nick makes the point some of those particularly kind of arrogant uh, messianic ones think yeah come on we can bring it I can guarantee that every single one of the schools in my multi-academy trust will be completely and entirely safe even though that's just completely delusional uh, for all the points um, we've just made but I think yeah I want to talk now about kind of uh, the NEU leadership, the NEU response and response from Kevin Courtney, Mary Bowstead and the other people who run our, our trade union, the NEU. Because I think it's interesting, kind of Anu talking about like what neoliberalism does, it smashes workers, it smashes and grinds them down to make them realise there is no alternative and it's quite reasonable and it makes sense that you can be sent out quite possibly to die and that is just the way it is because I think the point is for many people they're not going back to work. They've been at work the entire time. I can think of a friend of mine. Um, he's an electrical engineer. Um, his boss isn't at work. The office block he maintains and runs, none of the white-collar workers who work there are at work. But every single day, he's been, he's been told to pile onto a packed central line to go into the centre of London without any protection or any PPE to do precisely what exactly? Maintain and keep an empty building running for reasons I couldn't tell you. Um, so a lot of people have been at work continually. And I think what I think find interesting is, and a lot of other people have been sent you off back to work and maybe they don't have kind of any trade union background or trade union support to speak of and they've got nowhere to turn. But I think it's interesting. I think we, as we're all teachers here, and I know we're not a union just for teachers, we're a union for all education workers. But I think we kind of sit in this kind of interesting midpoint we are an incredibly middle-class profession. We have been getting on quite happily, quite nicely, sitting at home on our laptops the last few weeks, uploading lessons, doing work, replying to emails like good, good middle-class white-collar professionals. But I think we're now at this kind of point where it's kind of the veil has been pulled back and we've been exposed to what the government thinks of us. We're expendable just like all these other workers really so I think what's interesting is how at the moment kind of in this last week we've been trying to reconcile with that and how we're responding to that so I think it'd be quite interesting to talk about what's happened in the last week since that announcement from Boris Johnson that schools are going back yeah so just to uh, offer a quick summary uh, in the aftermath of Boris' uh, surprise announcement, because I will remind everyone that the unions were not consulted in advance of this announcement. Um, neither were most of the state apparatus, it seems. Um, but basically, our union has come out fighting uh, because this is this is really a life or death situation. Um, we've had to point out to people that uh, the government's own experts are often stumped when you ask them a simple question. There is no consensus among scientists as to the real risks involved. Uh, but yeah, our, our union is saying we will simply not consider. We're not even going to negotiate on the prospect of allowing our members to go back on a timeline that says 1st of June is suitable for school reopening in any form beyond the current provisions, which, you know, 
again, it keeps getting dropped out of the conversation. The, the notion that schools have been locked up with padlocks on the gates. No, there's, the present level of education is continuing. It's happening, you know, every day in the midweek right now. But our union is simply saying until conditions are safe and the science has agreed that the risks are manageable, um, we're simply not even going to, you know, we, we've instructed our reps and our members to email their heads and talk about, um, you know, we simply refuse to enter into negotiations on this 1st of June return date. And we, you know, as, as, as reps this week have spent a lot of time doing the organising when we were doing it beforehand anyway I mean we'll talk a bit more in detail about what we've been actually doing this week later in the show but like the union has been on point taking you know a leadership stance on this issue we we it's it's as I said at the top of the show this is a potential real flashpoint where you know the union may have to take you know strong unilateral action to keep its members safe I don't know if anyone else wants to pick up the thread as to what you know particularly our general secretaries have been talking to the media what have their talking points been this week i was gonna sort of say like we're, we're sort of third partying the union quite a lot here oh, yeah. and we're saying <laughs> the union is this this big thing and it is difficult sometimes because it's shorthand isn't it but like when the right and our enemies <laughs> come and attack us they kind of say that the union is these union barons they love the baron well they love barons when they're unelected people on huge salaries who own loads of land they don't like democratically elected union barons though they're bad barons um Ooh, but the yeah. um yeah so they say what they try and do is they say that the, the union is this thing that separates the uh it 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 separates the professional from their profession i suppose they're trying to say the unions are in the way of the teachers bravely galloping back into the schools licking all the coronavirus off the door handles themselves out of their <laughs> brave own bravery and it's only the union that comes in and tells them to stop doing things but actually we represent the vast 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 majority of the teachers in this country um and it's sort of funny isn't it whenever they get um whenever like someone's called to even like a normal teacher called to speak as a union member on something they always go this person from the national education union but it's like mm, they're just a teacher they're, they're, yeah. they're you know that's their that's my main job i don't get paid for any union stuff um, um it's different for people in the leadership positions but but yeah i mean and what what this has looked like is zoom calls and zoom calls and zoom calls like it's been pretty fascinating to be honest pretty amazing thing to live through i mean even though i've had to sit through like three hour long zoom calls but it'd be like national zoom call with kevin and mary where you've got thousands of people like two thousand people was it the other day across the country listening in to the elected leadership of our organization the biggest education organization in europe the fourth biggest union in this country um listening to the strategy from the top right this is what we're going to do when we get back into schools okay after that for an hour loads of questions a second zoom call which was in regions so in the southwest, we had um, how many was that? Was that that's a few hundred reps um, on a call. Um, again, strategic direction. People could ask questions: How it's going to implement in their school? How can they do it? And then from then on, lots of people went to district level, so a county, you know, a few constituencies, a county level. And again, we the union has seen um, huge levels of engagement, like we struggled to get people to come to meetings before and now we're getting like regularly 30 40 people in meetings we're getting primary school primary schools 
well, someone said, I don't know if it's strategic or not, but they, they tried to make primary schools open first because they have the, le- the least union presence. Mm. Um, I don't know if that was part of their strategy. I mean, it wouldn't put it past them. Dominic Cummings knows the situation. You know, he, he came out to smash us. That He spent four years trying to kill us um, and, and restructure education. So it wouldn't surprise me. But, but then what we've had is loads of people stepping up to be reps. Um, we were calling that. So, and, that, and that's continuing through this week um, and will continue the week after. And we're, we're getting the chance to say to members in schools, it's not about the union deciding and coming in and, you know, being a scary face to sit in a meeting with you. It's not, it's not about that. It's like we're all in the same position as you. We might be able to hint you to some advice or we might be able to support you when you're stuck. But the fact of all of us doing the same things together, that's what it is. And that is a union. It's, it's been a fascinating thing to be, to be part of at the moment, I think. Um, I agree with that definitely absolutely and I, I again not without being conspiratorial I think absolutely they were going for primary schools first but I think yeah what I felt in the last kind of week at kind of a branch and district level and even just at a workplace level just in my school just kind of circulating the letter that was put out by the National Education Union getting people to put their name to the letter publicly put their name to the letter uh, was really really incredible to see really heartening really inspiring because yeah i think we are seeing a shift that the union as you say nick is not being third party people are starting to realize well the government will quite happily shove you back to work and it's been presented to head teachers it's been presented to the entire profession as a fate accompli this is happening on the first of june just get on and deal with it and accept it and accept that there is absolutely nothing you can do and we've talked a little bit in the previous episodes about Jay McAleaven, about kind of union-busting tactics they use. The big one, and probably the most effective one, is engendering apathy and a sense of futility of, like, why even bothering thinking about it, let alone complaining about it, let alone organising and actually actively doing something about it if you're just going to lose anyway? Why save yourself the stress of a couple of weeks of signing letters, writing to your MPs, having Zoom calls, having meetings with people, talking to people, phoning people up. If on the 1st of June, you're going to be back at work anyway, just kind of accept it. And I think that's that's what they were kind of hoping for with this kind of calibrated, whether it be primary schools, it'll be this year's. It's a strong enough measure to kind of defeat education workers and to shut them up and it will be the thing that they'll just accept out of a sense of apathy and futility and I think the last week has proven definitely at a local and definitely at a national level that's not quite what's going to happen and I don't I could not at all predict what's going to happen over the next week and in the build-up to June the 1st but obviously I'm hoping that the government with us have bitten off slightly more than they can chew. I, I think they have because at the end of the day, you know, this this is life and death. Like, if we're actually going to boil it down to its fundamental premise, this isn't like us going, oh, do you know what? We're really stressed. Our workload is ridiculous, which we all know it is. This isn't us going, my class size is too big. This is literally us going, if we do this, people who shouldn't have died will die. That's it. Like thing is though there's a lot of tory policies that do that don't they there's a lot of like wars and starvation and poverty and lax health and safety regulations uh lack of mental health provision underfunding nhs that all does that thing Th- this is different i agree but the fact of the fact that people might die doesn't seem to put 
enough people off for my liking. But no, well, I mean, it should. I mean, you know, but it's also it's children, you know, and I think that when you're dealing with people like in our profession who are carers by nature, by nature, we are people that care. Like we go into this job, this profession, this vocation because we care about doing good the public good we care about making this world like i know it's really cheesy but you want to make this world a slightly better place you know you want to this is people and and it's it's hard to separate that you know i think but when you're talking about this you know now it's not just like oh some people you know over in afghanistan who i've never met in my life are dying which is a horrific attitude anyway if everyone does have that attitude but it's now it's like oh actually i know I know a teacher in the school that I used to work at has died. I know students' families who mum's got type 1 diabetes. They're really vulnerable. I know, you know what I mean? It, it, I think what's happened is, and like a lot of things, isn't it? It's familiarity. And it's the fact that it feels more immediate and more near to you makes you, you know, do something. And I do think they've bitten off more they can chew. I also think that certainly, especially the Daily Mail, for example, have massively underestimated the public opinion. I genuinely think that they have misread how a large portion of the public would feel about sending their children back to school anyway. Um, you know, and, and the fact that they're making personal attacks on the executive of the union, I think just shows that they don't really have anywhere else to go with it. You know, that they actually are literally at this point clutching at straws because you're not getting all these people that are prepared to speak out and say, well, actually, I think the schools should that teachers should just shut up and get on with it. Yeah. I I also wonder, and I hope... Yeah, I, I know we're going to do everything we can to stop the June 1st opening happening as the Tory government has proposed it, but there is going to become a time where we're going to go back, and I think that whenever that is and in what form, like even if it's just... We're already seeing um, at schools, and I'm hearing about... Um, the moment that Boris Johnson announced on Sunday um, that it was, you know, the lockdown was being eased in a sort of vague way um, and that people need to go back to work, that already children um, were being sent in higher numbers uh, back to schools. Like parents, I was hearing um, through doing, like, the calls and stuff, so it wasn't my school. Um, but, yes, yeah, a school that had 16 children in per week on average suddenly had 31 on Monday. So that was Monday. So I, uh, that was when I spoke to someone. I can't even remember the school. But um, uh, I, Lord knows what it would have been by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of that of that same week. And, yeah, so as people are coming back and as um, plans are already, you know, risk assessments done, plans being put in place, as more children come in, they're going to start falling apart. And while they fall apart, if they because if they're not good, they will fall apart. Like you'll have I don't know. Oh, everyone has to say two meters away from each other to start off with, and that might last a day. I don't really believe it would, but if it lasted a day, it wouldn't last two. Um, if it was a bad plan, and more children coming in, and if the it's clear once it becomes clear that the second wave is on the way. I think what start will start to happen is that people who have agreed to go in, and maybe it won't be everyone, maybe there'll be quite a lot of people refusing, as will be their right with Section 44, 
but I think that you could be seeing panic attacks left, right, and centre. I think you could be seeing people uh, like you know. I, I can imagine because I've already been in a in the lunchroom and just felt so uncomfortable. I can imagine the numbers getting too high in the class, and you, yeah, you're doing like Nick said. Um, you know, shouting more, trying to stress, you know, we need to stay apart, we need to stay apart, and the children not listening, and, and that sudden realisation that you, especially if you're older or especially if you're in any way vulnerable but not quite vulnerable enough to classify as being able to stay at home, suddenly realising what you're doing and how, um, how your sort of choice... Um, but with obviously a lot of pressure put on, I'm not blaming those people at all. But your choice has led you to that situation, and you have no idea how to get out. Like, people, like I think teachers will go back and then, uh, and educators in general go back and then maybe refuse, and that's just be chaos. We already had kind of an experience of that when we did, um, I suppose it's our third uh, COVID show, that first one we did, which was just after that first week where our schools were still open and the rest of the continent had been shut down. That's effectively what happened, really. I think before they kind of made that official government announcement, schools pretty much became unworkable as entities anyway because as you say like staff were panicking kids were panicking i can remember sat at my desk refusing to kind of do the thing like teaching as you go around you circulate you talk to kids one-on-one you sit next to them you look over their shoulder you're sharing this equipment none of that was happening i was finding hour-long lessons were taking 20 minutes because i'm stood pointing at the whiteboard rushing them through stopping only to send a kid out because they've coughed more than twice into their elbow i don't see how when we return with things the way they are, with the death rate the way it is, with the infection rate the way it is, it's just going to be that, as you said, Charlotte, it's going to be that chaotic situation all over again. Yeah, and we have to ask ourselves, so, well, is that any better? Is that actually any better? Are they going to get more out of it in ed- from an education perspective as much as they are in a social perspective or a mental health perspective? You know, and Nick said it earlier, like, is it worth it? You know... And I would argue right now in the situation that we are in, no. Well, Lauren, you're not an ex-New Labour education czar, are you? (laughs) You're not, though, are you? You're not. You're not a former New Labour education secretary, are you? No, no, um, well, no, I'm not. Well, if you were... Because I listen to other people. If you were, you would know... Firstly, know absolutely everything about everything. And if you want to look at um, Andrew Adonis's uh, Twitter <laughs> feed, if he hasn't blocked you yet, he's, he's blocking literally everyone that criticises him. It's amazing. Um, he is an idiot, but he... Um, and he, he does these... He puts up weird stuff about Tony Blair. Like he's yeah. a kind of... like, he, like he's a, It's the Tony Blair death cult. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, and some of them come across sounding a bit like Donald Trump tweets... Have you seen that one? Can anyone do the um, the Donald Trump voice that they do on Chapo? Lee, you can do that, surely. I'm not doing impressions, man. So it's like... <laughs> oh, God, it's... Oh, I wish... I can't really do it. But it's like the line... The teacher unions should first learn from the NHS and become part of the answer, not part of the problem. First, they attacked me when I raised parents' concerns at a lack of online education. Now they're resisting the public at large on the safe opening of schools. Very sad. 
this was before the BMA came out in support of us. So the doctors are like literally with us. Um, and then the thing he's talking about before is um, like a couple of weeks ago, before we started talking about schools opening, he was talking about the quality of online lessons. He's basically wanting kids to do more at home. He wanted more like uh, face, uh, you know, online lessons being taught. And then people like realised, oh, he used to run this kind of educational uh, company or he was like a director on this company that sells education packages um, and I'm not saying it's like a corrupt thing like he's still flying the flag but it's just like the way these people think um, you know and this is this is a guy at him Blunkett and Alan Johnson to an extent yeah. when when they were running the education system what did they preside over the two biggest fuck ups that there are the two biggest like one, tuition fees. Destroyed oh, universities. Yes. Destroyed universities. Like, so different. And they're, they're, they're going through their own issues at the moment. Um, and the other one is, like, starting academisation. Again, you know, it allowed the Tories to come in and hack up things even more, and it's just caused these things. Like, these people should not be listened to. They've not been relevant for years. They don't know what they're talking about, and it is just embarrassing. And for him to, like, claim he's got the majority of people on side, like... What, where are you getting that from? Where are you getting that from? Because our surveys are like are ridiculous. We're getting insane numbers um, on all the parent surveys, on all the kind of surveys of union members. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't stack up. It doesn't stack up. And these people need to go away. I mean, eventually they'll have blocked everyone on Twitter. So, um, so maybe we'll stop hearing from them at, at that point. Yeah, which is sheer arrogance. Like. Again, this idea of expert, like even any scientist will just say that actually you need to listen to the evidence. You know, you, you can't go in with your own opinion of what you want the truth to be because that's not how it works. Um, and I just think there is that arrogance, isn't there? You know, it's just that kind of I don't want to do the, you know, the middle class white man arrogance thing. I don't because that just, you know... But it, there is, it is, isn't it? It's just that old that arrogance of people that, that refuse to accept that they don't know everything and can't see that there's another a way of doing things or another opinion or you're just wrong. He does know everything, though. He does know everything, Lauren, because he's cleverer than the left wing. He's cleverer than the right wing. He's invented his own third magical best way of doing everything. So <laughs> another tweet is, there's nothing right wing or Tory about wanting schools to reopen safely. Education is the greatest force for so social progress and poverty relief ever invented. We need more of it, not less of it. A category error for the teaching unions to become anti-teaching unions. Now, I we were, we weren't at conference this year because conference didn't happen. But did someone vote through for us to be an anti-teaching union? I don't think that was ever has ever happened, has it? Hmm. Um, and also, what is it? Hang on, the first bit that you just said that he'd said about um, the fact that we don't want to go back to school safely. Both those tweets you read out, Nick, have the word safe in it. I think that's where their entire arguments fall that's apart. Point. That's exactly what the NU was saying. <laughs> word for word, we will go back when it's safe i feel like it's getting to the point where he he's so yeah keen to fight against like unions that it almost feels like he's um a tory plant i, I just i mean it's it's almost comic value i just it's humorous the the fact that he's um 
constantly, constantly online, constantly absolutely ripping unions, ripping educators to shreds. And I can only imagine that his motives are completely heinous for doing so because the man doesn't care about children. The man doesn't go on and on and on um, about the well-being of children until there's an opportunity like this and then suddenly he's all about it he doesn't he doesn't talk about it in normal times and the you know the wealth disparities we talked about being the ultimate you know cause of disparity in attainment etc etc um is something that we've talked we talk about all the time you want to know if we care about children, look at the episodes we've done before. Look at everything we do is is in service to children and in service to making sure that in any small way that we're trying to create more equality. And that's not something the Tories do. That's not something Lord Adonis does ever. And so the idea that we could be called lazy, that we can be called, you know, careless it doesn't fit and it's a joke to think that it does fit and I I won't even you know concern myself with his opinions because quite frankly he's almost yeah gotten to the point where his opinions are so squarely bad you know anyone he dislikes is probably quite good anything he (laughs) you know anything he thinks is bad is good anything he thinks is good is probably bad you know it's it's quite a it's almost a, a good litmus test for things in general so that's all he's he's provided don't do what lord adonis does exactly and also lord adonis might want to look at the founding of the party that he currently is in yeah i mean yeah the only, the only thing that he that he seems to like that is is actually good is flowers. I was looking at oh, his Twitter earlier. <laughs> Loads of flowers. Flowers are not cancelled yet. Although I will have to review my opinion on flowers. <laughs> Look at the flowers, Andrew. Look at the flowers. <laughs> I think um, it's it's interesting. I think it goes back to Nick. You made a really nice point last lesson about how disillusioned you'd be if you put all your eggs into the Labour Party basket over these last five, ten years or so. And I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who are just angry and have this constant feeling like they're being gaslit. And I think, like, on one level, you read what Lord Adonis said and you feel angry and then you feel kind of dispirited and depressed and upset. But it's like, yeah, don't get angry about him. It's instructive what he says and I think he reflects... A, a, he reflects an opinion of a small number of people and vast minority of people with a disproportionate amount of power and I think he took that David Blunkett I think he's just pathologically opposed to education unions but I think Adonis and when you get Gove come out the woodwork and you've got Gavin Williamson what he was saying the other day it's instructive to kind of know what these people think and I think it's reflected in America as well to a large extent this idea that there are problems in society there's a massive massive wealth disparity there's inequality there's kids who are suffering living in cramped terrible conditions having their life chances stunted yeah we all know that but then it's this idea that it's the teachers it's the education educators it's the education workers they're going to be the sticking plaster it's put entirely on us 
to do that and I think it was a few years ago when in America they introduced under Obama the uh, no child left behind it was very quickly called no teacher or no educator left standing it's like you were just going to have to reach into your innermost steps and you're just going to put out that extra bit of energy that extra thing that is going to be the thing that is going to save these kids futures give them an opportunity give them a life when we do our best we do absolutely everything we can but wealth inequality does still exist and they talked a lot Williamson was talking a lot the other day about the attainment gap the attainment gap is I don't know I'd, I'd be interested to know your opinions about that because this idea that somehow this gap is getting wider and wider and bigger and bigger and we need to get kids back in the classroom as soon as possible to minimize that and to start closing this mythical gap that was being closed year on year under the Tories um, I think it's just ludicrous because I think there's only one gap that really does fundamentally materially matter and that's the gap between rich and poor which has been growing wider year on year on year so i'd like to know what people think about that what's well, attainment of what what are they attaining in the current education system what are they attaining um lists lists of words like definitions of lists of words uh, to me that seems to be what most of the gcses are <laughs> very few skills largely knowledge regurgitation so yeah, I mean that's you could you could put a lot of um, time and effort into increasing working class kids' uh, ability to perform in a very limited exam format to try and match them with the other kids. You'll never do it. They'll never they'll never be. Um, you know, uh, overall that's just never going to happen because of the amount of time and effort required in these things, and they only assess a very narrow set of things. Um, you can close that kind of gap, I suppose. But why? What's the point? It's not education. It's just the goal, isn't it, as well, to, to come out and pretend like they care, like Michael Gove actually coming out to pretend like he cares about the poorest children, to give to actually think that he really cares about the attainment gap. I, I don't think he does, because if he did, then he would know, and if he did and he had an ounce of even, like, a little bit of intelligence about him, enough to, like, you know, look at some studies, he would know that the very policies that have been implemented by his party since 2010 have been the antithesis of closing this gap let's close down shore start centers shall we things that really got you know young impoverished families engaged in reading gave them access to books gave mothers access to um tips on how to look after their children gave them a safe space to go gave them time to spend with other mothers you know, all of these really important things that if you're not, you know, if you're not part of the NCT trust or, you know, whatever, that, you know, all these things might be denied to you. But that was a really amazing thing. It was really helping get get students, get, get kids that otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity. Oh, so let's close those, shall we? Right, OK, so you really then care about the attainment gap. So you've literally just in a party that's that's got rid of one of the most beneficial policies that probably did come out of of you know the previous 10 years before prior to that it is the gall i just hate the hypocrisy and the gall of people crying attainment gap when everything they've done which as tom rightly points out is wealth gap lauren can i just check what do you think because i've never quite decided people like gove williamson Adonis, are they stupid or are they shameless um i think I think it's a bit of both. It's a Dunning-Kuhner effect where they say that you, the, the, the stupider you are, the more you think you know. 
I think there's an element of that, and I do think there's an element of go. It's the opposite of the Socrates. Uh, yeah, thing. yeah, like you know, it's like you're too, you're just too stupid to know how stupid you really are. Um, so I think there's a bit of that with Gove, but I also think it's just arrogance. I think there's a lot of, and again, that also comes with being a bit more stupid. Is that arrogance of I know best. And I genuinely think he, in his head, probably thinks he's some kind of martyr saviour person who's come along because, you know, he had a private education because I think he's a good scholarship kid. Um, And because it worked for me back in the 60s, that therefore that is totally the formula that every one of our students have now, ignoring the fact that he, again, had a very, had so much privilege and that that's not how it is for everybody else. So I think he's arrogant. I think he's actually genuinely a bit stupid. Um, yeah, I, and I actually, no, I think it's the arrogance that overrides everything. And I think he's shameless. I think they're all shameless, actually. I've never known, like, a government that will just fuck, just, sorry, just lie, just lie, bare-faced lie, and and just hope they get away with it. I mean, to be fair, even the camera, like, I, I've never known, just, just the lies that come out of their mouths. Oh, yeah, we've tested 100,000 people. No, you haven't. Like, these aren't lies that are really hard to prove. Like, these are lies that literally people the next day can just be like, well, actually, mate, you're lying. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just... I think this is the most shameless shower of excrement we've ever had to deal with. I think it'll be interesting in a future episode, I think at the moment, as kind of any new members, we're doing as much as we can in terms of speaking to people and organising. But when you do have a bit more time and breathing space, I think, and a bit more chance to research, we should kind of look at the role of... Gove in particular and Dominic Cummings and what they did to education over the last 10 years and kind of do a little comparison with the mess they made of that can be reflected in the huge, disastrous, murderous mess they've made of COVID. I think that would be an interesting sort of comparison to make at some point in a future episode. Well, I'd, yeah. I've got a real issue with Cummings anyway with his involvement on the SAGE committee um, that to me was very dangerous, and I was reading. It was it was in the end of April, but there was a, there was a Guardian article reported that two people on that committee were voicing their concerns about him being there because it's not supposed to be procedural. That whole point of Sage is just scientists, epidemiologists. We can talk a bit more about the selection of these particular scientists later on, but the fact that his presence on that panel, which was not something that was publicly known. They hid. They didn't publicly make. They didn't make known the names of the scientists that were actually on this panel either. But the point was, is they're literally supposed to get together, look at the numbers, look at the data, look at the evidence, and go right, and, and basically give advice. But essentially, present the evidence to policymakers. Policymakers should not be involved in that process or be able to influence the science that will come out of it because of and skew it towards a policy that you want which is basically what was happening and and these scientists said they felt really anxious about Cummings's role on that committee which is really dangerous I mean that then is just flying in the face of evidence-based reasoning and being selective about the science we also know that the government downgraded um, COVID from the most severe to the second level down in terms of illness um, in order that they then could claim that they'd met their PPE guidelines. Because what that meant, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen the Panorama documentary that BBC made on this and they covered it really well, better than I ever could. But when you literally have people like Cummings, who I, I suspect has 
a lot well a lot more to answer for than even we know now um being involved in trying to influence the information that we are getting that policymakers are getting and the public are getting in order so they can literally cover their own asses which is exactly what they've been doing this whole time um yeah it's murderous it's murderous and it's like it's heinous so I don't know about you guys, but I don't exactly have uh, any confidence in our current government to deliver a school return that is safe. Uh, but what would that look like, guys? I mean, let's try and craft our minds towards, you know, perhaps, you know, what solutions are on the table that would be acceptable to the profession and society at large from a humanitarian perspective? What would a safe reopening of schools look like? Is there a timeline that's possible? I don't know. Uh, far fewer cases, like cases so low that you can track them. So, um, you know, like countable, at the moment we don't even know how many there are. We're just having to like do random samples and, and adjust, but like knowing, being, being sort of fairly secure that in the town, there have been no new cases for two weeks. Then most people are getting tested or tests were available. Then, then a staged opening of a couple of year groups, uh, to see how things go because you're not going to have all the staff to start with because loads of staff are going to be shielding or, or or whatever so it'd have to be staged come back anyway um and probably re- having like actually sitting down and thinking about what the priorities are here like are we babysitting uh or are we educating um and whether or not it's worth all the things that you have to put in in place but like i've said before i I'm not one of these, like, leave it till September people. Because I think if you leave it till September, September is going to be difficult anyway. It's going to be even harder if we don't. But June is ridiculous. Like, just even leaving it another month, you could kind of talk about it and have it make sense. June 1st is such an arbitrary thing and there's just no chance they can have anything ready. I mean, I think... I mean, I might be talking about what we think is going to happen, but I think several heads are just going to open anyway and the the, the big academy chain is going to do it certain renegade heads have already started trying to do it in Bristol um, they're just going to open lots of schools won't open the government is not going to tell those schools to close even if they don't tell everyone to open so that's kind of what I think is going to happen they're going to say oh it's just down to local leadership and then they're going to hope that the pressure builds but then the pressure will build over like two weeks and then you're going to see like another spike in cases and you're going to get that chaos that, that Lee was saying and things are going to get closed again. Well, the R value, so basically when they talk about the R value, what that means is a number. So if the R value is one, that means every single person that has it will transmit it to somebody else. Now, um, the, the coronavirus at the start had an R value above one, which is really high is is one of the reasons why it's so deadly because it is so transmissible now we'd got it back down to 0.7 a week before um the new relaxed stay alert slogan measured measure to come in um and even in that week we've seen an increase from 0.7 to 0.9 which just goes to show it doesn't take a long time and a much but when the numbers are so high and the numbers of people that have it are so high there really isn't a lot of wiggle room 
and and I think that it's all easy for us to sit here and speculate, but there's only one thing that we really have to go on, and and, and unfortunately it does mean it's quite unknowable, a lot of it, because we can talk about dates and times, but we can't really, because it depends entirely on the number of new infections and the number of cases. Yeah, I I definitely... uh... I agree with that, but I, yeah, in terms of looking at what else we'd want to see, what would make sense, um, yeah, it is about the testing, about the, you know, knowing about antibodies, like, you know, are people, I know that the, the science isn't yet um, completely all in agreement about whether or not you can get it twice to uh, under what degree that is anyway but yeah knowing about if you've had it before that might help you with an understanding I guess of um your potential for catching it in the future and also yeah testing children testing all educators and things like that but in terms of school yeah I think we should be looking at um returning in a way that's like really pastoral I, th- I think the idea of you know closing the gap through trying to get children to all sit um two meters away from each other um and desperately trying to you know get to whatever level all the children who go to private schools uh getting to at least if yeah if that's been their focus i think some some children might not have been bothering anyway so i don't know it's going to be a complete mixed bag what the attainment is uh gap is but you know across the board yeah we're looking at it widening aren't we but yeah it's not going to get fixed um with six weeks of desperate desperate um attempts by teachers but also how how safe is it with with regard to things like sinks like i've heard about lots of schools um i think um have 20 sinks across the whole school and you know people referencing things like Denmark uh, in a positive way. Oh, you know, we can go back because Denmark's gone back and they've got a plan. They've they've literally brought out toilets and or just sinks and things like that um, in order to make sure that, you know, they're able to clean. I know I'm like making like tiny little points, but, I, you know, I know this is one example, but there's um, at the school that um, I worked at, there was a boy who was in year one, so very small, and the sink that I'm pretty sure this is like close to his, like his usual classroom, uh, even though they're going sometimes to different classrooms, that was close to his usual classroom. And the, the sink um, that he uses, he needs a stool for it. And I watched him... And I was just, yeah, I watched him go to the sink, wash his hands. Another child came, child came from another class because it was lunchtime and everyone just rushes in and washes their hands together. There's like four sinks all in a circle. And he high-fived a boy <laughs> from another class. I go, no, wash your hands again. I said, straight away, yeah, you think, I'm on it, I'm on it, right? I'm, I'm catching him. He's, he's touched it. I'm going to sort that out. Yeah, he, okay, he, fair play. He starts washing his hands again, okay? Then I see him get down from the stool. What do you think he did to support himself as he got down from the stool? He grabbed the sink. <laughs> of course he grabbed the sink. He's he's too small for that sink. And that was the only way he could support himself so he didn't fall off the stool. Anyway, I assume that's how he washes his hands every single time. <laughs> What's the point? And and so, yeah, if we go back, something needs to be done about small children and big sinks. <laughs> they just need to get sprayed with a big hose, like a weed whacker kind of... Um, those things just have the dinner ladies with 
like like at the end of ET where they have those hazmat suits and then you have those kind of spray bottles that you that you pump and all the kids just need to get that up and down just in just flee and stuff the the use the spray that the 5g truthers said that london was going to get sprayed with yeah use that (laughs) put it in put it in a crop duster yeah Yeah. that was actually philip schofield was trying to get kevin courtney with that on good morning britain i think it was two days ago because they were showing scenes from other countries and one of them was china where they're obviously spraying the kids they're like but we can't have that and kevin was like no i'm not he was like i'm not saying that that's what we need to do but i am saying there is going to have to be a measure of being able to disinfect surfaces and disinfect children's belongings you know like no one's saying they're going to come in and spray them like but that that is the reality of the situation but you've seen the video of the kids in the primary school kids in china like going into school it's quite a good little video. They, they line up, they get their feet sprayed, they go in, they do something on their hands, then they get a kind of dusting all over. They put their hands in this UV thing that's like quite cool, it's like shaped like a robot, and then it goes bleep, 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 you are now clean, and then you go into school, and that's fine. But that's kind of what you need. You need this, like, con- a clean area that you, you can be sure that the contamination doesn't get in. Um, most secondary school kids, not most, but a significant majority, might even be most, don't use the toilets at school. So there's kids at my school, they get on a bus for an hour in the morning, they get to school, they do their school day, and um, then they get in a bus and they go home, and then they go and they use the toilet at home because the toilets are dilapidated, uh, disgusting, broken, busy, full of kids, a bit of bullying happens in there, there's no soap, the taps don't work, the flushes don't work. Like, they don't want to use them so much, they'll hold in their wee for eight hours in a day. Um the idea that there's enough of this infrastructure for even half a secondary school to be able to come in, wash their hands for 20 seconds at a time, a simple bit of maths is going to show you that that's just going to eat into everything and it just makes it pointless and unworkable. Um, And that's kind of like our next step is to like look at the DfE guidance, look at this checklist, the NEU set out a checklist of like all the things that need to be in place before it's safe. Um, and sit, as reps sit down with management and look at those things, and they're just not going to be able to do any of them. They're just not. I mean, even in the even in the um, the Oasis academies and stuff, I just don't see how they can prove they've done most of those things. It's difficult, and I say, and we all know, really, like I think it's really important to make the point that none of us don't want to go back we all want to go back we all want to go back we all want to be with our children we want to be in the classroom we want to be teaching them because we know that that is the most effective thing that we can do i mean we're all home like doing home learning we're all engaged and communicating with students but we all know it's not the same let's make a point like again the assumptions that teachers don't want to go back and also the assumption they're not working at the moment is false but at the end of the day like for me it to, to reorganise schools is going to be a massive task. Think about screens. Um, so in China, there's like in the lunch halls, they've got like screens um, between the students, like eating and things like that. Um, so that's going to take a lot of investment, financial and time and materials and the rest of it. Um, you're going to have to really, yeah, again, restructure how students move through the school. Um, we're going to have to make sure that there are we're, we've got cleaning staff. Um, we're going to have to probably at least double the number of cleaning staff in school, and they're going to have to be there all the time, literally disinfecting handles all of the time. 
um, soft furnishings where possible are going to have to go. Extra superfluous display stuff needs to go. You literally just want the bare minimum stuff that can be easily wiped down. That, that's the kind of practical stuff that we really have to be thinking about if we're going to go back to school safely. Um, but the thing is, none of that can happen until we're at a point where our government are competent enough to get the tracing and the testing sorted. You know, because without that, everything else falls down. So we know, therefore, what the national position is. And certainly, you know, reps across the country have been writing to management this week in order to, first of all, you know, organise their members because we've asked for signatures. We've asked for staff to be named and counted on a written objection to a 1st of June opening. Um what next, guys? I mean, perhaps we should draw it more onto what we've been doing in our local districts in terms of a response to this. Um, who's got some input on that? What have we been up to since Boris's announcement and the union counter position? What have we been up to in the intervening few days? Well, I mean, there's another big Zoom meeting tomorrow, a national one. So I don't know if that if that's going to change things. Because partly our the letter sending was. Uh, sold to us as a bit of a holding position, wasn't it? It was like a strategic position um, because then I guess... And then they've sent the checklist out. So maybe it's going to be about the checklist. It's going to say, like, mm. go back into your schools and sit with management and go through this list. But then the week after that, it's going to be, um, OK, some schools are opening, some schools aren't. Is that? Does everyone agree that that's what's... I mean, you've got, like, mayors in the north of England... Um, Andy Burnham, Joe Anderson, I think Newcastle, even in the south, like a uh, Slough, I think uh, you know, the odds council here and there, they're just saying, nah. Uh, potentially that reflects that more of their schools are in the LEA, in the, you know, still under the council control. Um, but, you know, but head, oh, we haven't really talked about this, heads don't really want to open either. Like most of the heads through their heads unions um, are with us. Like it's their, um, you know, it's their name on the, death certificate well not not exactly but you know they're the ones who are like you know part of their job is to run a safe school site <sighs> cause of death head <laughs> principle um they're like you know it's is, it is a huge you know that's their response you know, um someone did the example of um when it's a snow day when it's a snow day the head decides is the site safe is it too slippery our teacher's going to get whacked with snowballs when they walk around. That's the main reason they close it, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, are the, is it safe for the school buses to come down the little narrow lanes in the villages and things like that? And the head makes that decision. Now, with this, again, the head's going to make a similar decision. And actually, what we're doing is we're we're helping management. We're helping management because they can go back to their management and say, oh, "These guys aren't going to come in. I can't I can't run a school if you don't get hand sanitizer. I can't run a school if I don't have any staff." I can't run a school if um, the parents are just not going to send their kids. Um, but it's going to end up with cleavage and differences, I think. I think that's probably p- going to be the next stage of the government's plan is to devolve responsibility off themselves and um, put it onto local council, which actually is a good thing in a way because, you know, you know if it's teachers and heads deciding rather than them, then that... That is better, really. I suppose, as long as um, as long as we don't get blamed for things. But the heads, the, the schools that do open will have outbreaks. They just will. I just can't see how they wouldn't. So they'll either yeah. try and cover it up, or oh, what do they? What do they even think's going to happen? Oh, 
If you're the CEO of Oasis, you can absolutely guarantee that all of your schools are going to be safe. So yeah, <laughs> well, no, I, I can absolutely guarantee that one, at least one outbreak is going to occur in the school. At least one of those schools is going to have to shut. I, I would genuinely love to go up to him and be like, right, mate, 10 grand, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Shake my hand now, 10 grand on this. 10 grand's nothing, gonna... Lauren. Okay, 10 grand's nothing, Lauren. No, 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 the thing would be, would be their job. It's like, will you quit your... It's the same thing you do, like what happens sometimes with, um, you know, um, politicians. Will you quit if you're wrong? Like, are you, is, are you that confident? And... I mean, I do wonder, like, how bad it would have to be. Like, because, you know, if, if a school turns out to be, you know, um, failing um, constantly, then then the heads have to step down then. I would imagine, like, uh, that they must believe it to some degree that, they, that um, it'll all be all right. Because if it's enough death, surely they will have to step down. Or well, maybe I'm being over there. No, so again, going back to the Michael Gove stupid arrogance, you know... Nah, <laughs> that's exactly the same thing. But they're like, like they're awful show-offs, aren't they? And they, it, the schools that have been um, really diff- the schools that have been really bad to their staff in this time, and there's not many of them, are the ones that have been like pushing the kids way too hard, setting too much work, expecting way too much of, of the staff. And um, they're all the schools that are tr- they're the mats that are trying to go for outstanding status, and they're really cynically using this crisis to try and race ahead a little bit you know in in the kind of race of school they're trying to close the gap whilst the other schools can't close the gap so they're trying to make hay out of this which is really cynical and wrong and and the big the big mats are doing it as well because they want to show that their structure you know schools that have no democratic accountability that are run like businesses they want to show that they're the best schools so they're stepping up they're doing everything the government wants because they want to show this is how things should be run. Look how much progress and look at how big these numbers are that we have showing how good we are. This is how all schools should be. Um, but it's going to be really weird when you have huge health and safety outbreaks and then no one wants to work or send their kids to those schools anymore. In all circumstances, guys, in all circumstances, I think it's fairly clear that the imperative is on us and the profession more widely to organise uh, teachers have to be vigilant for their own safety and by acting together they can do this you know these arguments can be countered there's far more workers than there are bosses guys I know everyone on this pod knows this but you know we've been taking steps this week to try well over the last two or three weeks in fact we've been taking steps to try and build this network get people talking get people confident get people providing solutions to other members problems we've been doing phone banking for instance so if we identify a school where we haven't got a rep we phone every teacher in that school and we try and ask someone hey have you considered becoming a point of contact you know would you ever consider in the future becoming a rep you know if you listen to people's grievances and explain how the union can address them or at least how their involvement in the union can address these problems then then we're, we're you know that's what we've been doing, you know, certainly in, in our local districts. And, and we're starting to see we're starting to see results from it. Would anyone would anyone like to talk a bit more about what we've been up to? I was just going to say that, um, yeah, so we've been making the calls and that's been like, yeah, at times quite difficult, but at the same time, really rewarding. Um, but also what we're seeing in our in the WhatsApp groups of, you know, varying sizes that we set up um, 
the continuation of networking as people we might have called, yeah, three weeks ago who were in a school that didn't have a rep and they, no one was particularly bothered about that and they, no one wanted to be a kind of contact, maybe someone did it reluctantly. Or sometimes um, there are cases where people are now coming out of the woodwork in the last week being like, oh, actually... I know I said no before, or maybe I didn't even get a call because I didn't update my um, NEU um, contact details, so you um, didn't receive it. You do have to update your contact details. I know I have to update mine soon. Um, but yeah, suddenly they're saying, actually, I'll be the rep, mi- or be the contact. Um, people are helping each other by sort of pressuring their children their family members who they know are educators being like are you a rep do you have a rep and then um yeah putting us in contact with them and making sure that that's happening um whatsapp groups being set up between people from um different uh schools within a multi-academy trust whatsapp groups that should have been set up years ago but maybe like a person left or you know there was never a rep there in the first place these whatsapp groups more and more existing now and they're not going to go away so that's sort of the small positives that i'm seeing in what is otherwise quite a bleak situation Absolutely. And I think there are huge positives there. So the, the Zoom meeting we had in our branch uh, earlier this week, last week, had 50 people in it. And yeah, I think the 52, one of us was counting. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. Um, I think the most heartening thing is it's, we've talked about a third party union a lot, like the union isn't Kevin and Mary in their apparently really expensive houses and their jollies to Cuba, if the Daily Mail's are to be believed. Um, they aren't the union, we are the union, it's us and what we do. And I think even in just the last week, even just in some kind of interactions I've had with members today, it's like, yeah, people are taking initiative. They're doing their own thing because they understand it is the right thing to do. So I think that's been a positive, probably the big positive that has come out of what is a really grim situation is that you've seen increased engagement in the union and it's not an engagement of what are you going to do for me? It's what can I do to support my friends, to support my workmates, to support my community, the kids that I teach, uh, the families of the kids that I teach. Yeah, I think the numbers are, you know, when we keep 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 getting these numbers out of um, numbers of new NEU members, numbers of new people joining, and people are like, oh, wow, oh, my God, that's amazing. And it is good because we get more money that we can spend on our events in the pubs when, when this is all over. Um, but it, the members, that you can, you can be cynical about and you can say, okay, fine, insurance policy. Okay, clearly... People are terrified about the health and safety in their school. They realise they need to join um, a union. But the really encouraging thing is the amount of new reps. The new rep thing is the key thing. You would not put yourself forward as a rep if you were not prepared to do some amount of engagement in the union's processes. I also have faith in the union's rep training, uh, health and safety stuff training. Like Obviously, there's more stuff you could put in it, but as a training course, I think it is good. It does create... Uh, you know, like activists in the schools. You're not just a badly trained lawyer going in to represent your um, your staff. Like it, it turns you into an, org- an organizer to an extent. It's a taster of that that kind of thing. Um, and then even like from our our local groups as well. And it's like a big shout out to the people that aren't on this podcast, but the people who've you know before they might have come to a few events that we did in the pub about various different bits and bobs. But um, we've seen people really step up and, and become reps and take on phone banking and. Um, you know, on the WhatsApp groups now, it used to be like us kind of 
answering all the questions. But now I know I don't even need to because it's like five other people that are going to step in and answer it before me. Like, you know, like a virus, we are going to grow exponentially. <laughs> our, our number, yes. our, our number is going to keep getting higher and higher. The, the RI factor. Until we have to go back to work and we're too tired to do anything again. But at the moment, this kind of stuff is, is, is going well. It's been really heartening. It has been so, like, heartening to feel like a lot of work that a lot of us and and people around us and we know have put in is really coming to fruition in terms of in terms of like engagement. And it just goes to show that you know foundations have been laid to create an environment where you know this can propagate. It's like a virus, um, but also just not feeling alone. Like actually. In, like I'm not scared to tell my head no even if you do open on June the 1st I ain't coming in like I'm not scared to do that now had this been a few years ago I probably would have been but I'm not because I know full well that there are enough people around me that feel exactly the same way that I feel and are doing the best for the students and their staff and their families and for everybody, well, for, for the whole, for everybody in this in, in this world, really, if we think about it, because it's a global it's a global pandemic. Um, but like, I'm not scared of that, and that's amazing. Like, I genuinely feel like people. Wait, we've got each other's backs here, and there's enough of us that yeah, it's great. It's so make feel very powerful. It's awesome. And let's be clear, the, the, the union's message is getting results. We've got several cities and local authorities now just coming out in defiance of the government strategy. I mean, you've got the other constituent nation states of the United Kingdom d- going against <laughs> the government strategy. Um, on a local level, where unsafe practices have led to infections, we've applied pressure to get s- schools that clearly aren't provably aren't safe we've got them shut for the safety of the staff and the students in those places so yeah the union's taken a much more central role and you love to see it you love to see it and just you know to wrap up this show guys i mean where where next obviously we've got another big announcement from you know union leadership tomorrow but where next for us and other teacher reps and people who want to get involved in organizing where do we go from here just keep supporting each other. Um, keep checking the NEU. So the NEU have got a really good website. So NEU forward slash COVID. Um, that's a really good place to look for any updates. Um, figure out who your local branch are. Get involved in any Zoom calls and meetings that are happening. Like, talk to each other. I think, um, and this is looking more long term. So not not medium term, but longer term. Yeah, we're building these networks for the immediate now, but also for what we're going to have to deal with in the future. Um, they've already said, you know, they're going to have to make, well, it depends how it happens, but, you know, they're going to come looking for some savings, aren't they? They're going to, they've already said they don't really care about nurses' pay. They're going to come and, they're going, you know, they've already started to talk about freezing public sector pay as a way of paying for this um, crisis. So that's coming. We've also going to have in, Next year, we're going to have the for you know some kind of carnage over the exam system. The exam system doesn't make sense in 2021, but because of this um, turning upside down, because of this weird state of flux that we're in, there are possible opportunities that we need to seize. And we need whilst whilst focusing on the importance of the present moment, we also need to be kind of thinking a few steps ahead because they they do that. 
they, they've got time to think multiple steps ahead strategically. We're too tired to do that normally. But at the moment, um, potentially we've got a bit of headspace. We should start thinking a few steps ahead. Yeah, I think sort of longer term as well. Um, like, you know, I think lots of people have read this um, Aaron Dutty Roy kind of um, article or sort of like mini essay that she wrote. I think it's going to form part of a book she's bringing out. But um, she used this really lovely metaphor about like the pandemic being a portal and how you've got to decide like when you step through it, like what kind of world you want to see. So I know this is a long way off, but we're already we're already seeing. Um, you know this back back to business sort of like mentality um kind of being forced upon us with the whole june the first return etc um so i think we've got to think about um longer term what we're going to fight for in terms of the the structures of you know education like and a re- really heartening as well like things have been happening recently where um there have been loads of zoom meetings that either education based or neu based or sort of just out, outside of the union but to do with education where they've been looking at these kinds of things so the sort of celebrate the neu celebrating education um sort of festival or, or section put on um a really great decolonizing education um, webinar sort of meeting thing recently which was really inspiring actually and um it, it kind of reminded me that that although there are immediate fights you know we've got to be prepared for the longer term fights that are coming as well that and the things that we've like you say that we've discussed over the last episodes because we really care about what education looks like um we're gonna have to keep those ticking over as well because this is this is an opportunity that will that is going to be seized by like authoritarians conservatives etc you know they they've always had the upper hand they've continued to have it with these kind of measures so but this does provide um us with a real opportunity so i think that's something that yeah we need to keep at the back of our minds um in terms of going forward I think to build on Anu's point, I think what this current crisis does, it's like it's revealed kind of what we knew has been going on all this time. We talk about inequality, we talk about the horrors of neoliberalism, and it's always kind of kind of catalysed and exacerbated it as well. But I think on the flip side, it's also catalysed what needs to be done. And as Nick's talking about, we've had a bit more time, a bit more headspace to kind of do a bit more forward planning with organising. We're not just constantly firefighting or reacting or doing casework or dealing with this or that immediate issue we do have a bit of headspace to plan a bit further forward and get some structures in place but I think the big thing the biggest thing for me I think is not being in a workplace not being face to face with kids is just how important education actually is and I've been thinking the last few days about just how much I really love education and value education as the great liberator and as a hugely important force for good in the world and yeah I can't wait to get back in the classroom I can't wait to get some kids back in front of me to to teach them and to help them but of course not until it's safe but so I think that's something I've certainly at times when 
you're having a really stressful time at work when you're in the school you can lose sight of the value of education but I think something that will be revealed when we do get to go back when it is safe and when we are going to deal with kids who are faced with a lot of trauma is just the power we do have as educators as education workers I think that's something really important to keep in mind as well yeah I definitely think um yeah if you get a link to a Zoom meeting that you think you're a bit half interested in or you want to hear something, I'd say always go for it. It's like, it's something that obviously you, you can engage with actively, you know, show your video and ask a question, you know, um, either in the chat, like messages or actually, you know, speak up to all those um, people. But you can also just, you know, sign in on your phone, have your headphones in and go about your day, like hearing you know, from Kevin and Mary or hearing from, um, you know, local or regional NEU people without having to necessarily speak. I think sometimes people think it's something that, you know, you're committed to, your face is going to be there and you couldn't possibly drop out if, say, you know, your child starts screaming, etc. Like, they won't hear your child screaming and, and you can leave if you need to. So I definitely think it, it's not half as complicated as... as you might think if you've not joined a meeting like that before so i know that sounds like something i'm not advocate like i'm not saying everyone should um only join into a zoom in the least engaged way possible but sometimes you've been to you've been doing loads of other things your day's really busy and and it feels like it, it'd be too much but yeah you can in- the funny thing about yeah online meetings is you can kind of engage to whatever degree you're able to at the time so just give it a go um, would be one thing I'd say I think um, yeah but everyone should try and engage in some way more than they already have been Um, and I would also say although you know uh, MPs and um, councillors aren't by any means perfect but it's definitely worth a shot at trying to write to your MP write to your councillor if you've got a mayor write to your mayor and um, tell them like what you think about schools reopening tell them your concerns and tell them to you know give you their um, you know stance on it and yeah hold them to account really because yeah Liverpool's managed to um Liverpool Council's managed to um make the decision not to have local authority schools in um, the area opening and I think that's fantastic and I think that it's an example that lots of other places should follow as should lots of um multi-academy trusts and and general yeah schools across the board but it'll only happen if the pressure is there to a sufficient degree that the um people with the power um feel that they should yeah do something um is that all i think we should do i mean there's there's those things we could um do outside of that but um i think that's definitely a good start well guys shall we wrap this one up do we think we've covered all the beats What's your clo- what's your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts. thoughts. Well, um, one thing I've actually enjoyed doing recently is actually reading up on how to union. Um, it is actually worth reading some stuff on this. Uh, it's not even particularly l- lengthy reading, but we've been, you know, as a group. I mean, I didn't take the full course, but uh, reading up uh, on a book by Jane McAlevey it is really practical how to stuff. 
Um, it's about mapping your workplace, mapping your local area. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where do you need to focus your energies? Where, where do we try and build solidarity and communication with the hope of forcing some positive changes? Yeah. Because basically, guys, it's down to you and all of us by extension if we're going to stop Gavin Williamson and Lord Adonis herding us into the wood chipper. I think we, we got to stand strong and I, I see no other way forward. That's, that's where I'm at on this. And... Uh, let's not also forget that I'm pretty sure I know Eton, Harrow and Winchester um, aren't going back until September. And yet the Daily Mail doesn't seem to have an issue with that. Just thought I'd leave that out there. So I think if you'd like, if you like what you've heard, I said get in touch with us, get in touch with the podcast, get in touch with your local union branch. Um, yeah, because we're stronger together always. Thank you for joining us. We've been Requires Improvement. I've been your host, Lee, and today I've been joined by co-hosts, Anu. Bye. Nick. See ya. Lauren. Take care. Charlie. Stay safe. And Tom. Take care, comrades. Please give us a follow on Twitter. You will find us at at requirespod. We're also available on all your lovely listening platforms, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Yeah. Thanks for listening and stay safe. And we'll be back in touch, hopefully, when we have a new assessment of the situation. Bye-bye.